with me in your Bibles this morning to 2 Peter chapter 2. We've been talking about what to expect in 2023, and uh, not specifically 2023, but just 2023 and beyond. In other words, in this kind of season that we're in um, as a nation, as a church, what to expect. And we've talked about some different things that um, you know, we're expecting to see. We're t- we talked about deception. Uh, more and more. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about something that sort of ties into that a little bit. And that is, and by the way, I don't mean for this sermon to, this sermon series to be all doom and gloom. Because most of the things that we're expecting, it sounds like are not very good things. But I do think there are a lot of good things coming. But I think there are certain things that we can't stick our head in the sand about. And one of the best ways to prepare for something that's coming is to, first of all, just be made aware of it. Be made aware that things are moving that way and trending that way, and and then you can prepare for it. You know, for example, you know, I remember back in the 2000s, how many of you remember the Y2K scare? You know, how many of you still got canned goods from Y2K? (laughs) But, you know, that was a thing, and... The idea was, well, I don't want to go through anything like the grid going down, but if I can be prepared for it, then it won't be as bad. That's, that's the idea. So if I can have some things stockpiled, then we'll take a really bad situation and at least improve it and make it better. And that's kind of the position you can find yourself in as a believer when you read the Bible, is that things don't necessarily end well. Okay, If you read the whole Bible... Um, this earth doesn't go out in, in, in just a, a blaze of glory, you know, with everybody repenting and serving God. Okay? There's a group of people that that's happening with. But actually, the end comes and is ushered in by what, something that the Bible calls the apostasy, which is the great falling away. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Also, if you read it all, you find out that... Uh, Everything gets burned up and melted, and so it's, you know, it, it doesn't go, it does go out in a blaze of sorts, but it's not necessarily a blaze of glory, okay? So we're going to talk about that specific aspect this morning, which is I'm expecting more and more believers to fall away. Now, I understand how that sounds, and I understand that that's not like super encouraging, but I think by the end of the ser- uh, sermon, you'll be a little more encouraged. But why is this important? Well, I've, I've seen, and maybe some of you have seen, more and more, um, there have been public people that, that are people of faith, or were people of faith, or however you want to list them, that are publicly coming out, and there's this term, deconstructing their faith. I don't know if everyone's heard that, but it's a popular term that people are using. Oh, I'm deconstructing my faith, and, and basically they, they just talk about how they're walking away from God, and a lot of these people are people that are very well known. I know recently, uh, with, and I say recently, a couple years, there was one of the lead worship leaders at Hillsong Church that walked away you know, from their faith. There was, a, there was a, a pastor that I read his books growing up, and within the last couple years, totally walked away from the faith, not serving God anymore at all. Some of that is just because we live in a more public society now and everything is more public so you're going to hear about it it's probably always happened but you're going to hear about it more now but this is something that you're going to see and the reason it's important to talk about is because sometimes 
as a Christian, when you hear those things, it can be very discouraging. And it can be very demoralizing. But when you know it's coming, and you prepare yourself, that, and you understand, actually the Bible tells us about this, the Bible talks about that this is going to happen, then you can prepare yourself for it and not be caught off guard by it. What does it mean to fall away? Let's start there, because not everybody agrees on this. You have you know, people that discuss whether a Christian really can uh, fall away at all if they're a true believer and things like that. And, and I don't want to get caught up in that argument. What I want to do is just read the Scripture to you, and you can judge for yourself, because I think it's pretty plain in Scripture. What does it mean to fall away? What does it look like when a believer, someone that at one time had a life-giving, vibrant relationship with God, no longer is walking in that? What does that look like? Well, sometimes it looks like a moral failure. Right? Sometimes they were serving the Lord and they got into sin in their secret private life and they just kept going down that track until, as the scripture says, it shipwrecked their faith. Okay, that happens. And it doesn't mean that person can't repent and come back. Doesn't mean that. But it sometimes looks like a moral failure. Sometimes it looks like the rejection of a key doctrine or a key piece of scripture. In other words, you read something in scripture and you go, well... I don't believe that, or I don't want to serve a God who believes that, or I think the church has been wrong on this issue, and you just walk away from it. Now, we can disagree on a lot of things, but how many of you know you're in very dangerous territory when you read something very plainly in Scripture and then just reject it? That, that is a problem, and I don't, think you can, uh, I don't think that you can reject God's Word without rejecting God because Jesus is the Word. So when you reject the Word, you're rejecting Jesus. And I don't think you can reject Jesus and be saved, okay? What does it look like? Well, sometimes it looks like an outright rejection of God in general. So I know personally, having been in the church world for my, most of my 40 years, I know y'all didn't realize I was that young, but that's, yeah, I am. You know, I'm only 40. Um, but, yeah, for 40 years, I've been in the church world in some form or fashion. I remember falling asleep on the front row, you know, in church. That's just, I was always in church. And in that time, I've seen a lot of people fall away. I've seen, I had teenage friends that we were all serving God together hardcore, not even walking with the Lord today, wouldn't even profess to be a Christian today, totally deny God, totally deny the Word. I've been on church staff with other church staff members that were faithfully serving God, walking with God, serving in the ministry. Today, no longer walking with God at all, deny God, deny His Word, not a Christian at all. Now, again, you can debate, well, were they ever saved to begin with? Or, well, were they saved and did they, did they fall away? Let me ask you, does it really matter? They're not walking with the Lord today, and that's not a good place to be in. Either way, okay? And the scripture warns us about this. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, this is how Peter explains it. And again, I, I don't know that you can get any clearer than this in scripture, yet people still tend to argue over these things, which is not what I want to do this morning. 2 Peter 2, 20. Peter said, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Okay, so this is very clear what he's saying. He's saying if a person comes out of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they overcome that 
through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Says, then they are again entangled back in that and overcome. So not just did they slip and then repent, slip and repent, not that. They went back to their old life and they've been overcome by it now. And now they're not even repenting. Now they don't even want to repent. Now they don't even want to come back to God. Okay? So they slip back and have been overcome. He says, the last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. So he says, if you were unsaved, then you became saved, then you walked away. He says, the last state, after having walked away, he said, it would have been better if you'd never been saved in the first place. I didn't say that. That's what the Word of God says. He says, and here's why. Because there's an inoculation that happens. See, when you're unsaved, and the light of the gospel comes in, and your eyes are open, and, and you see the revelation, and you repent, and you come to God, you were in darkness, you were in deception, and then you, your, your eyes were open, and you saw the truth, and you came to the light of God. But when you went back into sin, you did it with eyes wide open. That's a big difference. And when you go back into the world with eyes wide open, in other words, knowing the Word of God, knowing the power of the cross, knowing all of that, and you walk away and you go back into the world, he says, you're in a different place now than you were before. You're lost in a different way than you were lost originally because you went back with eyes wide open. And what's anybody going to tell you now? What's anybody going to tell you now that you don't already know? What truth or what light is going to come into your life that you're not already aware of at this point, but you've rejected and walked away. This is why he says that that state is actually worse than the first. I'm going to read it again because I'm getting a lot of blank stares this morning, so I need you to understand this is from the Word. Let me, let's read it together again. He says, verse 20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world... See, this people say, well, were they really saved in the beginning? Well, he says they were. He says they escaped. He said they'd escaped it. You don't escape the defilements of the world unless you were saved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness. Why? Because you're accountable for what you know. You're held accountable for what you know. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Here's the point. The point is that this is a real issue and it's a real problem. And the Bible says it's one of the things that's going to usher in the return of Jesus Christ. Is people who once knew who Jesus was once knew the gospel, once had experienced salvation, turning away from that and going back either to their old life or rejecting God out completely outright altogether. Let me give you a few statistics on this. So this is from Barna. Barna is a research group. They primarily do research over the church world and Christian topics and things like that. In 2009, they track all of this every year, and I love Barna because they, they track a lot of really important information that can give us sort of signposts of where we're at. In 2009, they found that 50% of Americans were practicing Christians. Now, at any given time in our history, 
a lot more people than that would profess to be Christians. But they learned, and as the Christian world learned, you've got to ask a few more questions. Because if you just ask somebody, are you a Christian, it's not enough to know if they actually are. Even Jesus said that, right? He said, many are going to call me Lord, Lord. Many call me Lord, Lord. And when I see them, I'm going to say to them, I never knew you. So just asking somebody, do you call him Lord? That's not enough to know if he is Lord in their life. So they found that out. So they began asking different questions. And what they call a practicing Christian, which, by the way, this is an extremely low standard. Very low standard. What they call a practicing Christian is someone who at least attends church once a month. That's all. They didn't ask them anything else. Do you just attend church at least once a month? Okay. 50% of Americans qualified as practicing Christians by that definition, 2009. 2020, so roughly 10 years later, it was at an all-time low of 25%. So it cut in half. We, in 10 years, we went from having 50% of Americans attending church once a month to now only 25% of Americans attend church once a month and every other metric they saw the exact same drop so they asked people uh, so church attendance across the board cut in half do you read your Bible and and that was like three to four times a year I think was the standard for that cut in half do you pray period do you just pray do you, do you just offer up a prayer cut in half so those metrics are Every single one of them have been cut in half, which one of the shocking things to me that I saw in the study was that the, these drops were consistent across all age categories. Now, that was shocking to me because a lot of times in older generations, you will see more consistency. And then in millennials and, you know, Gen Zers and things like that, you will see uh, that that be more dramatic. But Actually, these drops were consistent across all age categories that if they'd been, to t if they'd been attending church at this rate, so all, all age categories do, do not attend church at the same rate. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if they attended at this rate, it was cut in half. And this other age may have attended less, but it was still cut in half in every age group. And you might think, well, what happened 10 years ago? What was so significant about 10 years ago? Because that was my thought. I'm thinking, all right, and a lot of things happened in the nation. So why 10 years ago did we begin to see this dramatic shift? As a matter of fact, if you look at every metric, and I, I spend a lot of time studying these things, not for this sermon. This is just part of what I do. But for this sermon also, I was, I was looking at this, and every metric, Bible reading, prayer, uh, church attendance, you know, beliefs on moral issues, all of it. If you, if you look at the graph, it is going down very, 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 very slowly. And at about 2009, 2010, it does this at every single metric. And to cross-reference it, I thought, okay, well, if church attendance is down, Bible reading is down, prayer is down, and that all happened, say, around 2009, 2010, we should be able to look at other metrics that are irrelevant to, to, like in other words, we should be able to look at things like anxiety, depression. We should be able to look at mental disorders, 
people that aren't even thinking about the church that are graphing and tra tracking these things. And if this is a real phenomenon, we ought to be able to see these things at that same marker because the, if, if the church is what I believe it is and the Word of God is what I believe it is and the importance of having God in our lives and families and marriages is what I think it is, then when I see these things dropping off, I ought to be able to also look at anxiety, depression, suicide, mental disorders, divorce. I ought to be able to see, look at those things and see an increase at the same time period. And if you go look, that's exactly what you find. And it's gotten worse from 2020 and on. And you can say, well, that's COVID, whatever, and that probably does play a part of it. But it, ha it was started long before that. And it's all at around that 2009-2010 marker. Now, I can't say what that is. I don't think anybody knows what that is, and it could be a combination of factors. But I'll, one of the things that I, I have noticed for about a decade now, and, and people are starting to realize the negative effects of it, is that the smartphone was introduced into our society in 2007. Now, this is not a sermon against smartphones, okay? I have those, by the way, but that, that's not what this is. Um, and so there's a lot of issues there. There's a lot of factors that came from that. And in and, and 2007, that's when the iPhone was introduced, excuse me. And, of course, by 2010, it, the smartphone was just in about everybody's pocket. Now, does that have to do with this? We're going to come back to that. We're going to circle back to that. It really doesn't matter what the, what the culprit is as much as just understanding that this is going to begin to happen. And there are going to begin to be things in our society, in our culture, that lead to this trend. That lead to people walking away from God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this, of course, the, the scripture, these scriptures are written roughly 2,000 years ago. Prophesying about the end times, what they're going to look like. Paul warns the Thessalonian church. He says, Now concerning the, com the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, if you read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you find out that Paul was talking to them in 1 Thessalonians about the coming of the Lord. And really how glorious it was going to be. We're going to get new bodies and we're going to meet him in the air and it's, it's going to be glorious. Well, after the first letter, there was some confusion. There was some talk. Some people started coming in basically saying, well, the coming of the Lord's already happened. And we're like living in the millennium now, you know, and we're already past a few things. So he corrects it in his second letter to the Thessalonians. And he says, look, the coming of the Lord hasn't happened. Let me clear this up for you. I want to, I want to clear this up for you. And I want to give you a couple things so you can know when this is going to happen, what to look for. Which this is just really good information for those of us that are looking and expecting the coming of the Lord. So he says, I don't want you to be quickly shaken, all right, about this. He says, don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarm, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. This was a problem in those days. People would write epistles and they'd sign it, Paul, Peter. They were false prophets. It was an issue. A letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. That word is apostasy. 
lest the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed the son of destruction. So Paul makes it really clear. He says, look, don't, don't worry about when Jesus is coming back because there's two things that have to happen first. Number one, there's going to be a great falling away. The word there is you, the word used there is apostasy. That's where we get this word, the apostate, someone who has walked away from the church, who has rejected God, rejected the Bible. So Paul prophesies and tells us there will be a great falling away. Now, it makes absolutely no sense if he's talking about people who were never saved in the first place. What, what kind of logic is that? By the way, there's going to be a lot of people who were never saved in the first place, and they're going to continue to be unsaved. What, th- that makes no sense. The word apostasy and apostate doesn't even mean that. It means to be in a certain place and then fall from that place. So he's explaining that in the last days, there are going to be people that were walking with God that reject that and they turn away and they're no longer walking with God. And he said it's going to be one of the signs that the end is drawing near. Now, at what level do people have to fall away so much so that it becomes a sign to the church Jesus is about to come back? Because people have always fallen away. People have always walked away. People have always backslidden in every generation in Paul's day and in every generation since. So to what degree do people have to fall away that it would cause us to wake up and go, hold on a minute, is this the apostasy that Paul was talking about? Is, is it happening at that level and in such droves that this could be a sign of the return of Jesus Christ? And if, and if, going, and if being cut 50% in, in 10 years isn't it, then I'm thinking, man, what would it be then? What would it what would it take? And I'm not saying it is. I don't know that. But it is definitely causing my spiritual ears and eyes to perk up. Because I'm looking around going, we've seen a significant drop. And to be honest with you, the, the, the type of church that we have here, okay, what One Life is with the type of church we are, with the children's ministry, ministry, the youth ministry, all of that combined, this church ought to have more people in it than it does to be honest with you. But we started building our church in 2010, which is right where you saw this drop happening. And even through that, our church has grown from roughly five people to you know whatever it is now in the middle of that. So there's going to be a group and a remnant of people that are always serving God, that the Spirit of God is always present with, that there is an outpouring of the Spirit of God in that group. But there's going to be another group that is walking away from and rejecting the things of God. That's going to happen. The Word of God prophesies and tells us that it's going to happen. Why would God put these things in the Scripture? To discourage us? To, to worry us? Why would He put these things in the Scripture? I think, again, because preparedness is one of the most valuable things that we have. So to know there are going to be conditions that cause this on the earth. I need to be preparing myself now to make sure that I'm not in that group. Have I felt myself slowly drifting away from the Lord? Have I felt the fire of God that once burned bright in my heart? Have I, have I felt it dim? Have there been sin in my life that's creeping up? Is there an apathy? Is there a complacency? Is there a carelessness about the things of God and about His Word and about the lost, about prayer? Is that happening in me? Well, if it is, don't just ignore it. 
Don't just ignore it because let me tell you, nobody, nobody is walking with the Lord on fire for him one day and an apostate the next day. That's not how it works. It's slow and it happens over time and your senses are dulled and you persist without repentance. And you continue down a path after the Holy Spirit has convicted you and warned you and prompted you and correct you. And you've read books and sermons and you've talked to friends and you've ignored it and you've overrode it. And then you get to a place where the Bible says your conscience is seared. So it doesn't happen overnight. It's you're lulled into it. Little by little. It's a battle of the mind in a lot of ways. And that's why preaching is so powerful. This is why the Bible, primarily the way that, that God in, that, you know, instructs us is through preaching of the Word of God. Because it fortifies your mind to think like God. It fortifies your mind to be in alignment with the Word of God. And this is why Satan tries to separate people from the Word. No, nobody is attending church weekly, just loving God, doing all the right things, and then they wake up one day apostate. That's not what happens. He separates people from their church. From, their, from the Word, He separates them from people, and then He begins to work on them before long, and this process begins to take root little by little. 1 Timothy 4.1. This is again Paul, but now in a different letter, talking to Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says, expressly says, this is, this is, this is solid, this is happening. The Spirit expressly says, that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Well, to depart from the faith, you have to have been in the faith. This, again, makes absolutely no sense if he's talking about people who were never saved in the first place. He would say, now the spiritually says that in latter times, some who are not in the faith will remain not in the faith. That, that makes no sense. He says, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Jesus taught us the same thing, Matthew 24, 10. As he's describing in the whole chapter of, of Matthew 24, he says, and then many will fall away. How many? Many. Many is different than a few, right? He says, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Well, if, how does your love grow cold if it was already cold? If he says the love of many will grow cold, that means their love was hot and it grew cold. So, and this word that he uses for love, by the way, is the word agape. Which if you know anything about the Greek four Greek types of love, agape love is the love of God that only a believer possesses and has. Because of lawlessness, the agape of many will grow cold, meaning it was hot, but it grew to a place of coldness, and, and verse 13 so clear, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Well, what if you don't endure to the end? What if you're one of those that lo your love grew cold? What if you're one of those that, wa that was an apostate? Well, you didn't endure to the end. So he, he, this, this statement is there for a reason. And there's many statements like it in the New Testament. Salvation is talked about often in the New Testament as one who endures to the end will receive the ultimate fulfillment of their salvation. So the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
So we have Paul warning us in two letters. We have Jesus warning us. But when Paul talked about it, he gave us two things. He said, as the time of the end comes, you're going to see two things. You're going to see a great falling away. And you're going to see the Antichrist rise up. And from that's not, we're not getting on that that morning. This morning it would take too long to get into who the Antichrist is, what the Antichrist is. But essentially the Antichrist is the final world leader. And that, so if we're seeing a falling away, but we don't see the Antichrist rise up, well then we're not seeing the great falling away that the Bible's talking about. It's those two things in combination that we will see that will signal us to know Jesus is about to return. Jesus is about to come back. And, you know, I don't get into predicting when Jesus is coming back. You ought to be glad and thankful for that. Because I think up until now, we've had like a 0% success rate of people predicting when Jesus is coming back. And I'm not going to be the first, and I'm not going to attempt to be the first. I think somewhere in Scripture, didn't Jesus even say, he said, only the Father knows, not even the Son knows? That's what Jesus said. So I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Every generation you know, sort of thinks that he's coming in their lifetime and all of that. And, and I think the scripture tells us to live ready and prepared. And so I've always endeavored to live ready and prepared. But I found this out a long time ago. It doesn't matter whether you're living in this very difficult time that Jesus is talking about it or not. The time we live in is difficult enough. And so to live prepared and live ready is essential, no matter what generation you live in. And if we're blessed enough to see the return of Jesus Christ, praise God. If not, we'll see it from the other side, you know, behind his white horse coming back. You know, that, that'll be a good view too. Why is this happening? Why is this happening now? Why is this happening in our society now? I could take probably ten sermons to unpack it. It's things that we've talked about so many times in this church it's things we've warned about it's things that the scripture warns us about why is it happening now in this generation why are we seeing a departure as people fall away from the Lord well the simple answer though again I could take ten sermons probably to, to, uh, to flesh it out and talk about it the simple answer is sin it really is that simple the simple answer is Sin. Sin is the greatest enemy of all humanity. Sin is the greatest enemy of all humanity. God is not so fierce against sin because he's a prude. God is not so, so you know, demonstrative and, and just intense about sin because, you know, he's a stick in the mud. He's intense and fierce about sin because of what it is and the destruction that it causes in human beings' lives. He's not up here going, you know, well, you can't, and this is how, of course, people have tried to portray God. Well, he just doesn't want us to have any fun. You know, he's a stick in the mud. You know, he just gets angry about everything. He cares about everything. Listen, every single thing that God cares about is because he cares about you. You know, if I tell my children, uh, you know, don't go out in the street when they're young, 
and they don't understand it, and they're just wanting to have fun. They're just wanting to run around and play. I can't run around and play, and I'm kicking the ball, and it goes out in the street. Why can't I run out in the street and get my ball? I know something they don't know. And I have visions of them getting splattered in the middle of the street. So I'm not trying to get on their nerves. I'm not trying to be annoying. I'm not trying to be a killjoy. I love them, and I'm protecting them, and they may or may not understand it at the moment, but they will definitely understand it later. And every single thing that we see in Scripture about sin, regarding sin, is all from a loving Father who loves the human beings He created, and He says, this is trying to destroy your life, and if you yield to this, and if you walk in this, it will destroy you. That's where we get the passion from God about sin. That's where we get that, the passion. You know, we call those pastors Bible thumpers, you know, and they're slapping the Bible, and, and I'm not saying it because I, I don't really preach like that, you know, but, ah, you're going to hell, you know, and, you, and you're just harping on things and hitting things, and, uh, and, and I get it, you know, because I understand the passion that's there. They're trying to warn people, and it may turn some people off the approach. I, I get it. I understand, but they're trying to warn, this is dangerous for you. And the question is, do we trust God? Do we, do we believe that if he says this is wrong, we should stay away from it? Let me ask you this. Do we have the proper respect for sin? Because I know a lot of Christians that do not. They'll see things, watch things, do things, participate in things, and think, oh, it ain't no big deal. There's not much to it. Listen, you don't have the right, you don't have a healthy respect for sin. You, you have too much pride in yourself, thinking that you're higher than you are, that this isn't going to eventually affect your life. Because I've seen a lot of Christians play around with sin, thinking that, oh, I can manage it, oh, it's not a big deal, oh, i just repent, you know, and I, and then when all the cards come crashing in, it's only then that they realize, man, this sin stuff really is destructive. I've, I've just seen it happen too many times, we all have. We need to have a healthy respect for sin. In the scripture, there was a disease in the Old Testament called leprosy. We've all heard, heard of it. Leprosy in the Old Testament was a skin disease that, that they would get, and it's, it's still around today. It has a different name. But in the Old Testament, leprosy was an example. It was a, it was a symbol. It was a, an example that God would use to describe what sin is and what sin is like. He said it's like leprosy. And what leprosy is, of course, we have better information on it today uh, with, with all the scientific you know, studies and things that have been done. Leprosy is a parasitic organism. It's actually a bacteria, but being a parasitic organism, it means it needs a host. So a, a parasite, of course, needs a host to survive. So it doesn't take much, but if it gets on your skin, if it gets in your body... The bacteria, the first thing it does is it hides in the cells within your nervous system. So it goes into your central nervous system and it hides within the, the cells so that your immune system cannot detect it. Your immune system doesn't recognize what it is and so it doesn't fight it. It doesn't fight against it. Well, like a lot of diseases, it begins to replicate, begins to multiply. It works quietly behind the scenes. It may be years before there's any evidence of it years before there's any proof of it, eventually skin lesions begin to appear. 
Essentially, certain reproducing cells in your body are hijacked, leading to failure or impairment of several key systems, including respiratory, visual, motor skills, and central nervous system. It is contagious and can spread to others, but thank God today there is a cure. So this was the disease that is used in the Bible to give us a picture of sin. When someone had leprosy in the Old Testament, because there was no cure at that time, they would separate them off from the camp. And they actually had to cover their mouth when they would walk around. They would have rags and things like that. They would cover their mouth. And if somebody was coming near them, they would yell out, unclean. Unclean! I'm unclean! <laughs> not, not fun, right? Not, not pleasant. Today you wear a mask and everyone's like, oh, maybe that guy has something, you know, and you stay away. They had to yell it out. Unclean! Stay away. Give me, you know, six feet. Stay back. I'm carrying something. It was very humiliating but they would cover their mouth and they would yell unclean because they didn't want to tra they didn't want to transmit what they had to someone else and so most of the time uh, lepers were they were excluded out to the edges of society in leper colonies and so everybody who had leprosy would just go live together because they've already had they already had it and they were separated off from society basically they were quarantined because they didn't want to spread it to other other people and uh, even, even into the 1900s, early 1900s, this was still the case. There were, you can go read about it. There were leper colonies in Hawaii, you know, on certain islands that were just, they were leper colonies. And all the lepers were sent there because it was still a problem until we did figure out how to, how to solve it and how to, how to deal with it. But this is how sin works. And, and God, remember, God gave us this as an example to help us understand how sin works. Jesus was a master preacher. And he always used examples, you know, fig tree and, and the vine, and he would use sheep and shepherds and, and, you know, all of these things to help us understand a difficult concept. And leprosy was given to us as an example. To un the disease wasn't created to explain sin. I'm saying God used it as a way to explain what sin is like. And he said basically what it does is it attaches itself to you. And it begins to work behind the scenes, and you don't, e you don't immediately see the effects of sin. This is one of the problems with sin. You don't immediately see the effects of it. It's, it's working, and it's causing destruction, and you don't even know it's there. You don't even know that it's, it's happening. And before long, the evidence begins to present itself. Now, the longer you let it go on, the more devastation it's going to do in your life. But praise God, there is a cure. For sin, just like for leprosy, there is a cure. And that cure is to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To be 100% submitted to Him and His Word. The cure is the work that Jesus did on the cross. Because today, none of us have to walk and live this life without the power of God helping us to live holy. If you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you, you can say no to sin. I don't know how many times I've talked to people. They say, oh, I just can't. I just can't say, I just can't say no. Listen, yes, you can. The power of God is on the inside of you. Yes, you can. And if you find yourself in a place that you can't, then you need to get help. Because this, this saying that, you know, you hear sometimes with sin, it'll say sin will take you further than you want to go, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It's deceptive. That's what happens with it. And just like leprosy, it is contagious. Sin is contagious. It will spread to other people. This is why 
in the New Testament, Paul was so strict when there was sin in the church, certain types of sin in the church. He would say, look, if a person's not repenting of sin and they're living openly in a certain lifestyle, that person has to be excommunicated from the church because and he, in that time he uses the example of yeast. He said in the way that yeast spreads to the whole lump of dough, that sin will spread to the whole body. That's how powerful it is. So sin is not to be tolerated. It is to be dealt with. So we need to understand what it is and have a healthy respect for it. And if you want to understand why people are eventually going to walk away from God, it really is that simple. It is sin. Sin draws people away. Now, coming back to the smartphone, if we go, well, why would, if, it, if, if the smartphone, in fact, was a catalyst, and my, my opinion is that, of course, there's going to be multiple factors. I don't think there's any just one factor. But when I look at the smartphone, if I go, well, why would it have been a, a factor? Because I've never seen anything like the smartphone that gave people so much access to the spirit of this world. I've never seen anything in my lifetime that made, it doesn't matter if you live in some podunk, redneck, hick community out in the middle of the sticks and you never even go to town. If you got a smartphone, you're connected to the world. You're connected to everything this world has to offer. Every vile thing. And look, I, we don't have enough respect for it. We don't have enough respect for it. You can get on a smartphone and violate yourself almost beyond repair in a matter of seconds. And I've, just, I've seen it. If your child, if your child or an adult gets on the smartphone, gets on their phone, and they see certain things that are on the internet. I, I wish I could say it right now. I wish I could say what I have in mind, but I, it's too vulgar for church. But just let me tell you, I've, as a youth pastor early on, and as a pastor today, I've, I, I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with children who got on the internet and saw things that violated them forever. We don't have enough respect for it. But that's just scratching the surface of the real issue, isn't it? Because the spirit of this world is always calling. The spirit of this world is always trying to drag you away from God. And when you have, a, when you have again, this is not any smartphone. I have one. Look, I'm preaching off an iPad this morning. Okay, I'm not saying don't have a smartphone. But we need to know what it is. We need to have an understanding of what it is. And I think around that time... We entered into a different time of society that I don't think we're even going to understand it until decades later of what really began to happen in people's lives. I mean, is it weird to you that today you'll go out to lunch and while you're standing waiting in line for, to, to be seated, every single person when you look around is doing this? And then you'll go, to, you'll go to the table to eat and you'll see families that are sitting across from each other and everybody's doing this? It's odd, isn't it? It's a very strange time that we live in. And I just think people didn't understand what it was. But the bottom line is, I've never seen anything that gave us such vulgar and just unrestricted access to the spirit of this world. Any little thing that comes into your mind, any, any little idea, thought that comes into your mind, you can Google it within five seconds and you can get 500 opinions or images or videos about anything that you want in your life and they and so many of them are not coming from God they're coming from the spirit of this world 
and you can find out what the world thinks about religion. You can find out what the world thinks about God. You can find out what the world thinks about sin. You can find out what the world thinks about relationships. You can find out what the world thinks about every little thing. And it's a constant flow into our minds, and the, and the smartphone created that. Now, I'm, not, again, not against it. I'm just saying that has an effect on people. Over time, that has an effect because the spirit of this world, you're either going to follow the spirit of God or you're going to follow the spirit of this world. Those are the two choices. See, the, the, scripture, the scripture calls us as the church to be separate. It's, it's literally the meaning of the word church that Jesus used. The word is ecclesia, with ek meaning out of or from, and kaleo meaning to call. So the, the actual meaning of the word church reads, my called out ones. The, the literal meaning of church, when we say we are the church, we are, what we're saying is we are called out and separate from what? The world. The world system. The, the way the world thinks, the way the world operates, the way the world entertains themselves, the way the world does everything, we're called out and separate. That is literally what the word church means. It tells us what was in the mind of God when he called us the church. He was saying, you are separate. And the church has fought so hard to not be separate. The church has fought so many times to look just like the world. Look, we're not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to look like the church. And the world is supposed to look at the church and go, wow, we're missing something. But so many times, the world has looked at the church and go, I can't see anything different with them than with me. But we're supposed to be separate. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to think different. We're supposed to have different values. We're supposed to have different morals. We're supposed to have higher standards. This is what the church is. The church is called out ones. He says, my called out ones. The word holy, which you will see so many times in the New Testament. It literally just means different. Holy means different. In the New Testament, this word is used over and over again. And the technical meaning, that when you break the word down of all the parts of the word that come together to make it, what it literally means is different from the world because you are like the Lord. That's what the word holy means. Different from the Lord, different from the world because you have the character of God. And so when it's applied to God, that's what it means also. Different from the world because I am God. And God is different. God is separate. And as his kids, that's our calling. To live holy, meaning separate. Different. Called out from the world. So when your kids tell you, well, everybody's doing this. Everybody's got that. You're called to be different. You're not, you're not called to be like everybody else. You're called to be like God. You're called to, to demonstrate the character of God. When I went to visit uh, Haiti a few years ago with our friend Mike Reisner from Core Love. Uh, of course, Mike and, and Heidi, they come, uh, Mandy, excuse me, Mike and Mandy come, um, and they're, they're in Texas now, but they, they do such a great work in Haiti. And so a few years ago, he asked me to go and see some of the orphanages we had helped build and you had helped build through our church. And when I was there, we were in several services, church services. We, you know, you, we were in a lot of different places. And I began to notice something strange about the Christians there. And when I say strange, I just mean different, just odd. Kind of, again, being in church my whole life, you just, there's subtleties you start to pick up on. I'm like, this is, this is strange. This is odd that this was in their service or in their worship. This is odd. 
And I asked Mike about it. I said, what, what is going on? He said, well, the dominant religion in, in Haiti is Christianity mixed with voodoo. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. This is what they've been raised with. So it's very hard to break people out and understand this isn't proper. This isn't correct. Because this is what they've been raised with. It's Christianity mixed with voodoo. Now, it doesn't mean every Christian there participates in that at all. But that's the dominant religion. It's Christianity mixed with voodoo. Well, you know what the, the dominant religion in America is? It's Christianity mixed with the spirit of this world. It's not voodoo. But it's worldliness. It is trying to live both sides. Having a dose of Christianity, but having a strong dose of the world too. We're not separate in many ways. We're not different in our relationships. We're not, we're not separate in what we look at and, and the things that we entertain ourselves with on the internet and on, on all of our apps. We're not separate in how we talk in many cases. Obviously, there are Christians that are living called out and separate, but I'm talking about the church at large. There is a major problem in the church with worldliness. And guess what? The two don't go together. And all I'm saying is, in the current climate that we're in, if you stay on that trajectory, you will find yourself picking one side of the fence or the other. And this is what I have observed. And, and this is where the lie that people buy. They think, well, I can always repent and come back to God. Can I tell you something? No, you can't. No, you can't. Because you know what repentance is? Repentance is on your end. See, if a person... If a person if a person can repent, God will always forgive them. But, but I have seen many people that lost the desire and will to repent. Because they persisted in a way for so long that they ended up in a place where they did not even want to repent anymore. In other words, they walked away from God, they turned their back on Him. And listen, this is what sin will do in your life. The Bible calls it your conscience being seared. And if you persist long enough in a certain way you will find yourself in a place where you do not even want to repent you've lost the desire to repent and that's a scary place to be in the Bible actually talks about repentance as a gift from the Holy Spirit and when we ignore it over and we take advantage of it over and over and and we we don't respect it for what it is and respect God it has an effect long term Listen, we're going a hair long this morning, but I, I want to read these other scriptures before we dismiss. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. This is what John said, talking to believers. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is so strong. But I love it because I, I want it to be plain. Don't you? I want truth to be plain. I want it to be, we want to know, where's the line? You know, how far can I go? Where's the line? Look, he gave it to you pretty clear. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, this needs clarification because, first of all, we're to love the world in the sense that <clears throat> Jesus died for the world. We're to love people. We're to love humanity. I think that we're to enjoy the world. I think God created mountains and sunsets and rivers and, and creeks and fellowship and, and eating together and laughing. <coughs> Excuse me. God created all of that. 
I don't think he's talking about, you know, living like a, a, a stiff and never having any fun. No, not at all. I don't believe that's what he's talking about. Any, I think what he's talking about here is the spirit of this world. The sin of this world. The wickedness of this world. The evil of this world. Pursuing the same things that the world pursues. He said, listen, if you fall in love with this world, you're going to have a problem. Because the spirit of this world by definition of what it is, is opposite of the Spirit of God. Which is why he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because when the love of the Father is in you, you will die to certain things and certain desires. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. Along with its desires. You see, Christians are supposed to live with this in the forefront of their mind. This world is passing away. This temporary pleasure is passing away. This temporary money is passing away. This temporary sin is passing away. I need to live for those things that are eternal. He said the world is passing away along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 2 Timothy 4.9, Paul tells this to Timothy. Uh, he says, Do your best to come see me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone back to Thessalonica. So it was something Paul dealt with. This was one of Paul's traveling companions. As I was talking about before, people even in ministry. This happens. Demas was traveling with Paul. He says, In love with this present world, Demas deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. James 4.4 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Can it be any plainer? It's not what we're called to. It's not what we're called to. We're not called to be friends of the world. And, I, and, I, and I, we could talk about it from so many angles, but one of the problematic angles that I've seen is the church taking this approach. Because we want to be friendly with the world on good terms with the world, we don't say certain things, we don't preach a certain way, we don't, we don't address certain things. We're not called to be friends with the world. That's not our calling. Our calling is to be, if we've got to pick, a friend of God. And sometimes being a friend with God will make enemies from other people. What you don't want to happen is, friendship that you have in your life making God an enemy of you do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God let me tell you something there are many people in this church this morning in this room that need to pay very close attention to that statement you need to pay close attention to it for your own self but you need to pay close attention to it for your children. The spirit of this world is attractive. It, it draws us in. And this is what he says. If you become, we, we can train our children in a way that almost are preparing them to be more of friends with the world than we are friends with God. He says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, and what would follow, this isn't in the scripture, but logically what would follow is whoever wishes to be a friend of God makes himself an enemy of the world. Why? Because we have what they call 
irreconcilable differences. The world and the church will never be friendly. The only way that the world and the church will be on the same page is if the world repents of their sin and comes to God. That's it. It's like, it's like if you've seen politicians that try to negotiate with like terrorists. That's why we don't negotiate with terrorists anymore. Uh, it's like if you try to appease North Korea, but it doesn't work. No, we have very, very irreconcilable differences that cannot be resolved like that. And you definitely don't resolve them by being friendly or appeasing. That, that is not effective. And it's the same thing. Listen, God has the answer. The, the call of the church is to proclaim the truth. The call of the world is to hear the truth and repent and to come to God. That is our calling. So here's what will happen in our lives as believers. <clears throat> you will either forsake the world for God, or you will end up forsaking God for the world. That's our choices. So it, this matters for us, at, because this can happen to anybody, but what I'm really bringing this to your attention for this morning is because we're going to live in a world where this is going to happen more and more and more. And don't let it shock you. Don't let it surprise you when you see people that you once thought, man, that person, they're, they're walking with God. They're, they were such a strong Christian. It can happen to anybody. It doesn't matter how strong of a Christian you are. It's just like an airplane that's flying in the air. It takes a lot to overcome gra the law of gravity. And that plane will fly until you shut the engines off. The moment you shut the engines off, I don't, I don't care how big or strong or great that plane is, it's coming down. The law of gravity will take over. It's the world we live in. If you have risen above the spirit of this world, it's because your engines are on and you're flying high with God. But at any point, you can turn that engine off and the spirit of this world will take back over. It's a, it's a, it's a law that's always operating in this world. And where people get struggled, sometimes they say, well... I don't think God would ever uh, allow that to happen. Well, listen, we're in, a, we're in a covenant with God, and the Bible says that marriage is actually an example of the relationship between Christ and the church. I don't think, I, I have no doubts about God on His end, but guess what? If you choose to walk away, you can do that. You're not, you're not God's not going to shackle you in. And if you choose by your own choice to walk away, you can do that. And I don't believe that God would ever uh, you know, give up anyone in his family. But you can choose to walk away. That can be your choice. And, and if you do it, you can always come back to God. But that's not the problem. The problem is when you get to such a level of deception, you may not always want to come back to God. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen many times in people's lives. This is going to happen more in our world as we approach the end. And it is one of the things that I'm expecting to see continue in 2023. Let's stand on our feet this morning.